Hey, it's Gonsman. Before we get into this week's episode, there's three topics I want to touch on. Three of the most popular questions I keep getting asked, so I'm just going to repeat it and remind you guys about these things one more time. Question number one, where did you get your logo? Where did you get your stuff for the YouTube channel and more? Reach out to my guy, Matt, on Instagram. Don't know Squatch. All one word, S-Q-U-A-T-C-H. Don't know Squatch. Matt will help you. He is an artist. He's a true professional. So if you're looking to start your own brand, your own business, your own podcast, and more, start with a fantastic logo. Matt will help you. Reach out to him on Instagram. Don't know Squatch. A lot of people have been asking, guys, are going to go deeper into the heavy sports we're used to. We're used to you giving takes and predictions and offering your side of the story on different things that are happening weekly in sports. Yes, that is coming soon. Hang with us. Very soon, you're going to get more sports-centric weekly takes. Really exciting news on the way. So for those of you asking for the more traditional sports side of this, we're going to still give you career stories. We're going to still give you business stories. We're also going to give you some sports-centric episodes. They're on the way. Be patient. This thing is a process. We're going to get there, just like the name of this podcast. And the third thing, for those of you asking for the video sign to have more nudity, that's not going to happen. Thank you for listening, though. You're not getting more nudity on the video side. Anyways, enjoy the theme song. Here we go with another episode of Getting There with Gaz. Getting there with Gaz. Getting there with Gaz. Getting there with Gaz. Getting there with So we're going to start most episodes like all the other episodes. Like my dad used to do when he was coaching me in Little League and Pop Warner, we'd get in a circle. And if you didn't know somebody, you'd introduce yourself and tell everybody what you wanted to be called by your teammates. So let's do that. I know who you are. But for those who don't know who you are, introduce yourself. And what would you like to be called during this podcast? Uh, You can call me Brady. My name is Brady. And uh, I am a sports radio host at WDEV Radio in Waterbury, Vermont. That's right. Brady Farkas, one of my pals, is joining us here on this episode, going through the journey, finding out how Brady got to where he is in his career. So let's start at the beginning. Take us through where you grew up. What was the first job you wanted as a kid? And did you want that same job as a kid when you were 18 years old? Well, first off, since we skipped the how are you phase, I have to tell you, it's an honor honor to be in the... uh, you're so early in the podcast process. It's it's an honor to be chosen as part of the like, hey, I know you and I think you'll say yes portion of this. <laughs> Your check will be in the mail. It'll be a very small check, but it'll be in the mail. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I grew up a lot of different places. Um, I, I tell people I'm from Albany um, because I was there the longest and I was there um, for the time I was nine years old and on. But, uh, you know, I was born in California, lived there for a year. Both my parents are journalists. So, uh, we bounced around a bunch earlier in my life as my dad was getting better jobs. So uh, California for a year, Seattle for five. Um, you know, that's that was my most formative years. I don't remember the place that much, but I remember going to games and watching games on TV. And so that's why I'm a diehard Seattle fan. We were in North Carolina after that for three years. And then uh, was in New York. And then, you know, individually, I've been in Vermont once before. I was in Pennsylvania for a bit back to New York, back to Vermont. And uh, that's where I'm at now. And, uh, 
you know, I wanted to be a baseball player. Did everybody want to be a baseball player? Like, <laughs> you know, I wanted to be a pro athlete. I thought, you know, I thought I could do it. I think in, uh, then I realized quickly that was stupid. And then, um, I think in college, I really wanted to be a play-by-play guy. And then by the end of college, I was like, that's really, really hard to get into. Those jobs don't come around easily. And, um, you know, I then I wanted to coach college baseball. I did that for a while, and I completely backed into radio. It was like the, the weirdest thing ever, but uh, I'm it's you know I'm glad to be here. There's so many things I want to get to. I want to go back because you look at this nice story all across the country, all different jobs. We will cover a bunch of that. I want to sit on one thing you said though that I think for younger people who are listening who are trying to get into media that you kind of glossed over that somebody got confused by. You mentioned that your family moved around a lot because your dad was a journalist and getting better jobs. Kind of dive into that a little bit if some people are unfamiliar with what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean it's the same as you know, uh, it's the same as an athlete's arc, right? To be really good in media for the most part, like, yeah, there are a few Juan Sotos out there that come up to the major leagues at 19 and they stay there and they're awesome. Like there are a few people that get jobs in New York city and have them from 21 on, but for the most part, you're starting in single a and then you're double a and you're triple a, and then you eventually are in the majors. And then once you're in the majors, you can bounce around a few more times after that. So, um, you know, my dad's from Ohio. He started out at the Akron Beacon Journal, a very good paper there. Then he went to Macon, Georgia on his own. And uh, then he ended up in Orange County, California. That's where he met my mom. So that's where I was uh, born. Then my dad got a job in San Jose at the Mercury News where Skip Bayless used to work. And he was there and he was uh, in the sports department, you know, uh, and, and not lower level, but just like a regular editor. Then he went to Seattle. He was a regular editor there, but it was in a much bigger market. And then kind of like, you know, you were talking about the other day about growing markets and radio it was the same thing. He went to North Carolina and became the uh, assistant sports editor. Then in Albany, he became the executive sports editor, which meant he ran the whole sports department. And then even though we were in Albany, my dad bounced around a bunch more times, kind of like in the area after the Times Union and uh you know kept getting higher promotions but you know we would stay in albany and he'd you know commute on the weekends back and he'd go you know he was in pennsylvania for a bit he was in watertown for a bit pittsfield for a bit so he you know he kept growing his career even though we stayed why didn't you want to be a sports writer if your dad was a sports writer i, I would thought would have assumed like hey my dad's a sports writer i want to do what my dad does well my dad's an editor my dad's not a writer so uh, you know, my dad was bringing, you know, my dad wasn't at games. He wasn't chasing stories. It wasn't like one of those things where he was always at games, bringing me to games with him. He didn't have locker room access. You know, he, he brought home page proofs, page proofs, which is basically just like the rough draft of the newspaper. And so the newspaper would come out in the morning. He'd bring home page proofs from, from that night. Like, here's what the paper's going to look like. He'd give him the final edits. I'd look at them with him. I'd try to find as many mistakes as I could piss him off. And, uh, you know, so, and I found a couple of big ones at the time. Like the Giants were going to play in the Super Bowl at the Times Union. They had the wrong Giants helmet in there. And, <laughs> you know, I found that. So that's the reason why I got changed to the paper. Um, you know, hey, the Jets don't have that logo anymore, Dad. Like, let's let's change that. So, yeah, he wasn't a writer. It wasn't like he was taking, you know, was, there wasn't a lot of game access. And I just like to talk. You know, there's a story that I don't remember, but, you know, in school, I got, uh, you know, thrown out of class or something or sent to the back of the line or whatever for talking. And the teacher called a conference. It's like, he talks a lot. And I just said, I looked at her. I go, yeah, I have a lot to say. So <laughs> I was in like kindergarten or something. And, you know, I just like to talk. All right. So you want to be a pro baseball player when you're growing up. For those people who may not 
live in Albany, they're not familiar with your high school and where you played. Take us through the Brady Farkas baseball career. Where did you play high school? If you had the opportunity to play in college and how close, if ever, did we get to the pro baseball thing actually happening? We never got close to the pro baseball thing. No. We, got to, we got to division three baseball and that was enough for me. Shout um, out D3 sports, D3 sports D in the house. Shout out D3 sports. That's where you go stay 2012. What's up? Um, no, so I, I, I went to Shenandoah, and uh, Shenandoah was one of the biggest schools in the state, class AA. We graduated 729 kids. Um, did, did not know the girl who was sitting next to me at graduation. Other dude next to me was hammered out of his mind at graduation. Um, <laughs> so, like, I, you know, I didn't, you know, so it was a big school. If you made a team, you were good. No, you know, even guys that didn't play, just to be on the team at a school that big, you were good. And uh, so I was actually – so I was a two-year varsity player in basketball or in uh, baseball. For the most part, we didn't have too many upperclassmen that played up because we had such a big school that every class was good. You didn't need to pull from lower age groups. We had a few, but uh, so I played junior and senior year on varsity. Didn't even play that much. Um, didn't play that much as a, as a junior. As a senior, started four or five games or whatever, pitched out of the pen a couple times, probably had 20 innings or so, 25, 30 innings. Wasn't all that great in high school. I actually got better as I went to college. Um, I played three years of, of high school basketball. I had a brighter future in basketball at the beginning, and then everybody who I was much better than passed me, so I was actually better in basketball as a sophomore than a senior. Um, I started on sophomore. I started on varsity as a sophomore in high school and played like three minutes a game as a senior. So like I went completely the other way in basketball. So. Baseball was always my first love. Um, I was good, not great, but I had a desire to keep playing, which is what got me to college, probably. So you played Oswego, and for those who aren't familiar with this, Oswego is a big-time media school. There's a lot of great alumni who have gone to Oswego. Steve Levy, Al Roker, Linda Cohn. You can go through the list of great people who have gone to Oswego. When you made that decision to go to Oswego, was sports media in your mind, and did it matter to you? Hey, if I'm going to do sports for a living, I really got to pick a college that I can focus on doing this for my future. Um, yeah, it mattered. I went there because of media and baseball together. Um, I also was very lazy in the college application process. I didn't really apply anywhere for the most part. Um, I applied to UAlbany. I applied to St. John's because it was a free application. I applied to Oneonta and got in, and I applied to Oswego. And uh, I could have played at Oneonta too. It didn't have the good, you know, the good media back. Crown. They didn't give me that much money. Oswego gave me a full SUNY scholarship where I didn't have to pay for tuition for all four years. I just had to pay for room and board and I could play there. So, you know, between the media background, the good money and the ability to play baseball, that is why I chose Oswego and, and was very happy with it. So it was uh, it was a great decision in a lot of different fronts. But as a Division three athlete, you're balancing now. You're balancing between playing Division three sports, which people hear, they don't think it's a big deal, but it's still a commitment, no doubt. But you're also trying to find ways to help out your resume to find that media job and everything else. So if you're a freshman or a sophomore, how are you adding to your resume? What are you doing in Oswego to try to take that next step in your career while balancing being a baseball player? Yeah. So um, college baseball wasn't that, it didn't feel like that big of a commitment to me because my high school program was run like a college program. Like that's like the thing that I always took as I got older and as I got into coaching, you know, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, like, I felt better prepared for college baseball than 98% of anyone else that I ever saw in college. Like kids that came from our program were just prepared to play. We ran it that way. It was treated that way. The drills were like that. The expectations were like that. So, you know, 
going to practice every day and having a two hour practice and running and all that, that none of that bothered me. That was just what I was used to. It was much more of a grind for somebody who hadn't experienced that before. Um, you're still making time for weightlifting and you still got games and you got to make up classes and all that, but it just didn't feel that different for me. Um, on the media side, first week of school, I went in there I tried to be on the campus news for television at the TV station. Um, we had tryouts for the news anchor position, you know, the sports part of the news anchor position. I remember having to read highlights from that week's NFL games. It was like week, it was like the first, it was like the third week of school, but it was the first week of the NFL season. So my Seahawks had gotten beat by the Bills like 31 to six, and I'm having to, to reread Roscoe Parrish punt return for touchdown <laughs> highlights. And uh, so that was fun. So they they give me a day on the newscast. Like, Brady, your day is going to be third every other Thursday. And they also, real quick, who, who is they? Some people might not know who you're talking about. They is students, right, who are upperclassmen, right? Yeah, they are upperclassmen students who run the TV station. And they pick who the anchors are and all that. So then I guess I did well on the, the TV anchor. So they give me the my own day on the news. And then they say, hey, you were pretty good. Do you want to be a part of our college hockey broadcast? Because Oswego is very good at hockey. They just won the national championship in 2007. This is now fall of 2008 that I'm there. So it's like a year It's like a year and a half earlier that Oswego's won the national championship in Division Three hockey. So like you can be on our hockey broadcast doing doing TV work. I'm like sure, and most people have to start out as like as a freshman. You're gonna run a camera. You're gonna press a button. You're gonna kind of be a you know a, a back of the house guy. And they're like, hey, we're gonna put you on the air day one for day one of the season. And it was me and three other people doing pregame, postgame, in-game intermission reports. I never watched hockey. Did not care about it. Did not like it. Didn't even know the rules for the most part. Just just kind of equated everything to basketball and just fudged my way through hockey. I was like learning what icing was like that day. And uh, then, you know, we got basketball on the TV station too, but nobody cared about the basketball program. So I did. So I was doing play by play as a freshman because nobody else wanted to do it. And uh, so I was doing simultaneous basketball hockey. Then every year I stayed the basketball voice. They went to the NCAA tournament twice. I got the call. Uh, call some tournament games on Division Three basketball, and then hockey. I just kept growing. I was, you know, sophomore year I was the host of that show. Then junior senior year I was play by play in color. I did some women's games where I was the lead voice. So just a bunch of play by play, and I kind of skipped all of the back of the house stuff. No, but I, I just, I you saw me react there because it's crazy to think that you are 19 years old because you're a freshman. You and I almost have the same birthday. You're yep. 19 years old. You are calling a national championship Division Three caliber team. And you have zero idea about the sport that you're calling. But there you are. You're like, hey, I just want to get on the air so badly. I'll do whatever it takes, even if I might accidentally maybe like call the puck a ball because I'm trying to do a <laughs> basketball broadcast and that's just habit. You're doing it, man. Like that's amazing. I think how quickly it started for you in your career. Yeah, you know, like I I mean I knew hockey, I and mean, that was a little bit of an exaggeration. Like I knew, you know, I know the teams, I know the players. I'd seen Mighty Ducks 174 times. Like <laughs> I, you know, like I know the game, but I couldn't tell you what offsides was at that time, really. I couldn't tell you, you know, exactly what icing meant and all that. And um, the first game was against the under-18 national team. And so, like, it was guys that were going to be going to Boston College, guys that were getting drafted. Like, it was a big deal. I didn't realize it was a big deal at the time. But, like, these, these guys were a big deal. So it was a big game to be a part of, actually. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what the umbrella defense was, you know, the umbrella power play unit and all that. So, 
you know, I'm just like, oh yeah, you, they got to keep the puck out of their zone. Like I'm just kind of talking my way through it. Yeah. So nice little lesson for college students or younger people who are listening. Hopefully you guys will continue to listen to these podcasts. Brady and I would agree. If you get any opportunity in college or in high school to do anything on the air, even if you're not familiar with the sport, say yes, just say oh, yes. Yeah. I wouldn't say fake it till you make it, do your homework, but be a professional and make it work. Brady did it when he was 19 calling to national championship teams. A couple of years later, when I was 22 or 23, I was working at Norwich University in Vermont, another Division three school. I called the ECAC swimming championships. And, like, you're trying to, like, you're trying to talk, like, 5,000-meter breaststroke, and it takes, like, 18 minutes. And I'm like, well, lane one is moving fast, and lane four is moving a little slow. Like... <laughs> I want to get that audio. Somebody dig it up. Norwich women's swimming, right? You said women's swimming? Oh, yeah, it, was, it was the entire New England regional. So it was like Kansas oh, State was there, yeah. Norwich, Babson. Oh, it, was a, it was a big deal. All right, so let's fill in that little gap right there. Let's go to when you're 22, you're about to graduate, Oswego. Do you have a giant job lined up? Do you have one that you might be taking? And you mentioned Norwich. How do we get from you graduating Oswego to ending up doing something completely different at Norwich? Yeah, so um, it was like probably April of senior year of, of college, and I hit senioritis real bad. Like I, I didn't. I had a class that like sophomores take that I hated. The teacher was like really giving me a hard time, and I was like, I'm done with her. I had baseball senior year. That was all I cared about. I wanted to like enjoy every last moment of college. Like, hey, this will be the last time we go here on Wednesday night. It could be the last time we eat these wings. So I'm like soaking all that in. And uh, just, I was kind of checked out on school. And then I was like, oh, damn, the job market is sneaking up on me. What exactly is going to happen? I'm like, hey, the New York Yankees haven't called me to be the play-by-play guy yet. So <laughs> I better I think I better figure something out. And uh, so I had heard about this field called sports information, which is basically just being the, the PR people, the public relations people for a college or a university. So if you go on a you Albany's website or something, and you look at their athletic department and, you know, men's basketball wins 80 to 77. And then you click the story and there's a story there about what happened. That's what the SID people do. And so I'd heard about it because one of the guys from Oswego who was on those hockey broadcasts when I was a freshman, he was a senior. He was the assistant sports information director at Norwich. And he was talking to me about sports information. He was like, Hey, we have an opening here for our, <clears throat> for our intern. So I'm like, okay, great. I'll, I'll apply there. It's in Vermont sports information. It's still media. It was, you know, decent enough money for a little bit, whatever. So I do the interview and then I don't hear anything for like two months, maybe three months. And then in the meantime, no, I don't hear anything for like three months. And then I find out that the guy I interviewed with for that job has left. And my buddy has been promoted to the sports information director. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm so late in this process. All of our other candidates are out. Brady's the only one left. So I get hired by my buddy. And that's how I end up in Norwich. Wow. So now here at Norwich, a job you hadn't thought about getting before. Now, for those who don't know this too, like, I don't know if your experience is the same as mine. SID, sports information director. That's what that means. Basically, like you kind of explained there a little bit. I feel like most sports information departments our former athletes, former people who play. did you have that same experience that if you go through resumes of these guys or girls, they're former college athletes or very big sports fans? Definitely big sports fans. Definitely people who are good with writing and statistics, um, but also a lot of former athletes. Uh, Derek, who hired me at Norwich, ran cross country at Oswego. Um, 
you know, Samantha, who was our, who became the assistant SID when he got the job as, as head SID, she was a former softball player at uh, Southern New Hampshire. So it was a whole department full of, of people who had been college athletes. Um, being an SID is a great job. It offered a lot of cool perks. It was not the right job for me at the time. I didn't handle my time at Norwich very well at all. Um, I got a lot of great stuff out of it, but you know, I definitely had some things that I would do differently if I were in the position again. Well, that is going to lead to my question now, because every time we're going to have a podcast episode, there are going to be certain things that people might feel uncomfortable answering, and it's going to lead to this part of it. Can I ask you? Okay. Can I ask you this? Why did you handle yourself poorly at Norwich? Would you want to discuss that? Because I know that people might still be working there. I don't know if you want to talk about it. Can I ask you about what you did wrong at Norwich? Yeah. You can so, say no. You can pass. Okay. No, oh, no, I'm getting it. Let's go. No, that's fine. Um, first off, so Derek and I had been college buddies, and he was only three years older than me. We also lived together. So the the employee boss relationship was blurred right away. Um, you know, and I would say more so by me. He was trying to figure out how to be a boss for the first time. He was trying to figure out how to manage a guy he was friends with. I just looked at him as Derek, my buddy, and didn't really treat him with the boss respect that he deserved and that he was, you know, fighting for. Um, I also had a really hard time being around Division Three athletics and not actually playing. So that was very difficult for me to go to games and cover athletes that in some cases I thought that I was better than still at playing and have to pump them up at how great they were. So I really missed baseball. So I, I volunteered to coach with the baseball team and the baseball team was horrible. And there were four and 33 the year before I, I helped out. We didn't have a fence on the field. The, the outfield was just covered in football cleat marks because it just didn't matter. It was the, the, the uh, dugouts were from like 1940. I mean, it was just a bad team and a bad situation. So they welcomed the help. But I got so into coaching there and I started to really love it. And I kind of started skirting my job I was actually being paid for. And, um, you know, like I, I was the SID contact for baseball. So like that got me to be able to be at the games and stuff. But like I went to Florida with the baseball team as part of coaching. And then I wasn't available to help in the SID department. I would, you know, I, I skipped out on covering some soccer games so I could go be at fall practice. Like there were just, I cared more about my unpaid job than my paid job. And that was a problem. And so we go through the season. We have a good season, actually. For us, we win nine games. We go nine and 21, but make the playoffs for the first time in like 10 years. Um, Kind of start to turn the program around. I'm a big part of it. The kids like me. I love them. I love the coaching staff there. The internship ends because it was a one-year position. I reapply for it. They don't give me the job because they just didn't think that I could handle, you know, they basically told me, um, we will give you this job if you promise to not coach baseball. And of course I told them yes, even though I didn't mean that. Oh, and, no. and then they ended up not giving me the job and I was ticked about it and the guys were upset about it and the coaching staff was upset about it, but it was the best decision. I wasn't doing the job I was paid to do. Not that I wasn't doing it well. I just didn't care about it. So like I had this air of, 
I didn't care about it. And I did other cool things at Norwich too. Like I, I got to be the PA announcer at the hockey program, another national championship division three hockey program. I got to, you know, I, I, I did work. I don't want to make that like I wasn't blowing things off. I just didn't care. It wasn't my priority. And when you couple that with the lack of respect I was giving my buddy boss, um, it just wasn't, you know, I just wasn't that good at that job at that time. No, that answer about what you're saying, not caring, I, there's got to be a better way for all of us to phrase it. Because I think all of us, when we're 22, we get that first job out of college. It may not be exactly what we want. And it's hard to like be really mature, fresh out of college when you might have taken a major for four years or you had a passion or when you were 18 or 17 said, hey, I'm going to school for this. You hit graduation. You're out. It's like, all right, where's the job I wanted? It's like, hey, I'm so young. I want to do something else. I want to do something else or I want to try something else. So when you leave Norwich, is this where the media career of Brady Farkas takes off? Take us through how you get the yeah. first media job. No, we're still a little bit away from that. Whoa. Um, so I loved coaching so much. Norwich had turned the corner. They had brought in the town's high school coach to take over as the college coach on a volunteer basis. And I was on the staff with him. He had won. Now it's Vermont, it's a smaller state. We're talking like a really small school in the state where it's like 30 guys in the whole, you know, 30 guys in the whole like seven through 12th grade but he wins 18 state championships in 35 years mm. and so i learned a lot from him i get a chance to meet brian kane who's the top sports psychologist in the world at this time he still is um works with all kinds of national championship division one programs he comes and speaks because he went to the university of vermont so he comes and speaks to norwich so i meet him i'm all in on sports psychology i'm all in on coaching so then i'm thinking okay this will be my thing i'm going to coach college baseball and be an SID because in a lot of places, the SID, especially division three has a second job. So I'm like, that's going to be my second job. I'm going to be the SID and be a baseball coach. And it's going to be great. So I go through the next year. I have, I apply to Norwich. They don't give me the job, but I had other applications out to, um, I had one out to RIT, which was another one year internship, one out to Misericordia, which was a one year internship. And one out to Amherst College, the really good Division three program, which national championship caliber. That was a full-time job as their assistant SID. So I go through the whole summer. Norwich doesn't give me the job. It's now like August 1st. Nobody has called me. Then all of a oh, sudden, no. I get all three jobs on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I get two jobs on the same day. And, and uh, Amherst tells me, hey, you're one of our final two. So... The full-time job, I'm in the final two, and the other two internships, I have the one year, you know, I have those offers. So I don't take the full-time gig because I wasn't sure I was going to get it. I take the job at Misericordia in Pennsylvania, small Division three school again, really good baseball program, had been in the NCAA tournament multiple times, you know, the last several years. I go there. I'm doing the SID stuff, same thing. I'm trying to coach baseball. They're so good, they don't really need my help like Norwich does. So I'm getting to... <laughs> You know, I'm throwing batting practice, hitting ground balls. The guys like me, but the coach is not really in on having me around that much. Um, then I'm hating the SID stuff, just like I did at Norwich. The boss there, I didn't really like that much. And so then in December, my my grandma gets sick. And she's from California, but she had been visiting in Albany. She gets sick. And I just decide I'm going to leave Misericordia. I'm going to go home, help my mom out. So by the time I get home. My grandma's passed, but I've already left the job. So I go home. I took a job 
before I had left as a uh, part-time baseball coach at Hudson Valley Community College. And so I'm going home at this point for the only for the job at Hudson Valley Community College to live in my parents' basement and to make $2,000 a year, not a, not a month, $2,000 a year okay. um, coaching college baseball. So as I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I get back, I had reached out to 104.5, the team. I'd reached out to the Times Union, and I'd reached out to Channel 13 and Albany and Roger Weiland. Times Union doesn't respond. Roger says we don't have anything for you. Armin, who you talked about in episode one, he calls me from 104.5. It's like, hey, I'm hiring for a board op. Can you run the board? You know, can you engineer shows? And I said, no, I can't. I've never done radio before, really. I had done radio in college, but only as talent. And it was just kind of screw around. I'd never even done radio, really. And real, real quick, for those that don't know, that term you just used, board op, board operator. What type of responsibilities would a board operator have for someone who's never done it before? And why it's intimidating for somebody, like you just said, who has no idea what he's about to step into? Yeah, you're engineering the live show. You're making sure that the volume is right. You're making sure the microphones are on, that if you're playing any sound bites, that you can do that correctly, that the show stays on the air, that the commercials play, that you can get in touch with a guest, all that. So I never game done on the before. air as well. It's game like a live yeah. game as well. Say so if the Yankees are playing the Jets, you're the one that makes sure we get the feed. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So you're making sure that that's you know that that's on and that's good. So I didn't know how to do that. So he's like, okay, I can't hire you. He's like, we'll stay in touch. Okay. So I go home. I have no job. Then, like, I get home at the end of January. Armin calls me end of January and he's like, hey, I got something. It's part time, six to ten a.m. Can you be a morning person? I'm like, I will be if it gets me the job. <laughs> so, um, so this is January of 2015. This is January of 2015. Yeah, I think this is January of 2014 at this point. Okay. So this is January of 2014. So Armin hires me. So I'm working six to ten a.m. and also working at Hudson Valley Community College. So these two these two part time jobs are now going concurrently at this point. Okay, so now let's fast forward a little bit because now you're working two jobs. You're trying to do the media thing. Do you ever step away from HVCC? Do you get more hours at 104.5? The team kind of take us through what happens with these next two jobs over the next few years. Um, they're going on really equal paths until about – they're going on really equal paths through spring of 2015. Like they're – they're dead set. I feel like I'm rising at 104.5. I feel like I'm rising at Hudson Valley. Um, I'm really doing well recruiting at Hudson Valley. Um, I've got the pitch down there well. We're getting kids in. I help recruit. It's like 30 kids in there, um, a lot of which are really good players, some of which ended up going Division One and getting scholarships. Um, you know, So I'm doing well there. The team's playing well. Guys are liking me. That's great. Then over at 104.5, I'm doing better. I'm getting some more hours. I'm getting entrusted with more things, more projects. I'm getting a little bit of airtime here and there on shows. And um, eventually I got a Saturday morning show. So, you know, to talk for an hour on Saturday morning where it was my own thing. That was cool. So they continue going in the same direction until uh, until spring, summer of 2015, I would say. Okay, so let me stop you there before you get to more of the story. You just kind of went from hey, I'm kind of grinding, I'm kind of grinding. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're on the air. And not just on the air, you have your own weekend show. How in the world did you go from just board apping and making sure everything went well to getting the trust for somebody in a brand manager like Arvin to say, hey, you've grinded. Now I'm going to not just only put you on the air, you're going to have your own show on the weekends. Take us through the process of how in the world that happened. So um, 
I've always been really big in just getting con and creating content always. So I was really good at writing. I enjoyed writing. Um, I was there in the morning by myself. I had a lot of time to write. So, you know, the digital side of things was a big focus at that time at media it still is, but that's kind of when it started. So I'm putting a bunch of stuff out on social media. I'm putting a bunch of stuff out on the website and I'm getting really big numbers there. So the company loves me because I'm cheap. I'm working early when nobody wants to. And because I'm really doing well digitally and the station website and social media is getting a lot of traction and a lot of views. And I'm helping cover a lot of local stuff, which is important to everybody when you can talk, you know, we can have local stories covered by local media. So that helps. I started, you know, the thing about Armin, the thing about Armin is Armin wanted to be a program director at an ESPN radio station. He did not care as much about being the program director of ESPN radio in Albany, New York. So everything that he thought about was big picture and everything he thought about was how can we make this smaller place feel really big? At the time, I really cared about the smaller place. I was from there. I had played there. I coached there. My brother was in high school at the time. He was playing. I'm like, I know all these local stories are happening and Armin doesn't care about them, not because he doesn't care, but because he's not from there. It doesn't mean anything to him. Like I see that now like where I am. But the thing that's been the hardest for me to learn here, I've been in Vermont for four years. The thing that's the hardest thing for me to learn still is local high school stuff. Like trying to get myself amped up to learn the high school stuff is still the hardest part of this job. And so Armin just never, you know, that just wasn't for him. So he used me to be the local guy. Like, hey, you want to talk about local high school stuff? You believe it's important? Sure. But you're going to come on and talk about it. So whenever there was local stuff to be had, whether it was 90 seconds or four minutes, I was the guy they brought in to talk about it. So I started getting some airtime that way. And then kind of like you talk about in, in episode one, I started getting a little resentful. I'm doing the same thing. Um, I'm part-time. I'm not making a lot of money. I'm early in the morning. I'm getting some airtime so people know who I am. I think I'm getting better. I'm doing a lot of like commercials and stuff. So like my voice is on the air a lot, even though it's not part of a live show. And I just go to them and say, hey, I think I can do this local thing all the time. Like, I think there could be a local show here. And he's like, okay, we'll give you a Saturday morning show. And that was kind of it. So, um, you know, to his credit, he's like, look, I see the numbers are good that you're doing digitally. People do care about this stuff. I may not personally care about it, but people clearly do. So now we're going to have good digital numbers. We're going to have a Saturday morning show. You're going to get to hone your craft. And there are going to be people that listen because you're bringing, you know, and now we as a station get to look better because we're all, you know, we're covering more things locally. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody at that point. Two awesome lessons there where Brady got to where he was. Getting there to Brady for an afternoon weekend, actually uh, weekday, weekend show, but working during the weekday, finding ways to do it. One, you grinded, and people saw what you were doing, and you put it on notice like, hey, here's what I'm doing. And two, you found a niche where it's like, hey, I know I might not be talking about the Jets or the Giants every single day, but trust me with this. Like, Let me be that guy of something. If you find your little way, especially when you're young, to say, trust me when I'm talking about this issue. And like you basically said, you came out as an insider, an analyst. You gave the takes because you did the research in time. That is a big deal, especially when you're trying to find how can I break through and make people care exactly what I'm doing. So you mentioned summer 2016, stuff starts to change. HVCC, 104.5, the team. What are the changes that start to happen now in the life of Brady Farkas? So summer 2015 is when things yes. really changed. So yes. I, I got screwed at Hudson Valley. I got screwed over big time by a guy that I trusted, by a guy that I'd helped. And uh, 
you know, it ended up, it ended up really the decision was made for me. I wasn't going to be there anymore. So that's why I stopped coaching for the most part um, at Hudson Valley. Um, the guy who I had come in under as the head coach, he left and uh, I had gotten a guy hired as the assistant coach there with me, a guy who I played with in college, a guy who was also from the area who I knew would be a good baseball coach. And when the head coach leaves, the administration chooses to give him the job over me. He's been there for three months. I've been there for a year and three months. I've recruited all of these players. I've coached all of these players. I was resentful about it. He big leagued me the whole season. Didn't even invite me to the end of season party because he wanted to prove a point that he was above me. And uh, then, you know, so that ended our friendship. We, we went through the season together. He, you know, told me some stuff he shouldn't have in front of the team um, to make me look bad. And, uh, then we, you know, he ends up getting the head job there for a couple of years and he's like, Hey, I'm the head coach and you have to reapply for the job. I'm like, I am not reapplying the job for the job just so you can not give it to me. So I left, I left there. Um, so at the meantime, I, I started really kind of taking off and going headlong into radio. And I thought at that point, like the decision got made for me, but I was on a good enough track and I had liked radio enough that I thought I'd still be able to do it and be good at it. Um, I, I still coached in the summer. I had a coaching itch. RPI called me, offered me to make me the pitching coach, and I, I took it. Um, I was there through the fall, but in the spring, now I've taken off so much at the radio station that Armin leaves for Denver. They send me to the Super Bowl. I'm doing afternoon drive with LeVac filling in before Wolf gets hired. So now I can't make practices. I can't go to Florida. I can't take you know do the game. So I end up bagging RPI, even though I didn't want to. But just because the hours were, you know, the schedule was such as life at uh, at 104.5. Yeah. So let's let's sit on that a little bit because that's a lot that just happened there. The RPI stuff. Basically what happens, like you said, you're getting offered more opportunities and more higher profile opportunities to the team and a job you probably want to do now. Um, so, we, you know, the timeline is January 2016. Yep. Armin, who is the brand manager, the program director, whatever term you want to use, the boss of the station is no longer there. You've been there. You're filling in on the afternoon drive what happens now? Is it this goal is to be the afternoon drive? Your goal is to take Armin's spot. Your goal is to go back to college baseball and just make some money. What is the goal for Brady Farkas at this point? The goal was at that point, I wanted to be the afternoon drive host of one of four or five team. So when Armin leaves and, you know, a dubs, who's another producer type at the, at this point, like he and I are kind of going back and forth, um, rotating, you know, one week hits him one week, it's me. And then, for some reason, it ends up being me. I can't remember if he left at that point or if they just chose me or some. He left in March. Okay, so he leaves. Well, no, that still doesn't make sense, really, because once I go to the Super Bowl in in early February, I had that gig from early February on. So that's right. That's true. Um, so they had given me that job, and I, I guess unbeknownst to me, the only reason you didn't get it is because you kept threatening to quit every other week. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I guess that's the only reason. Listen, episode one. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's the only reason why I get chosen, which that kind of cleared up some some details for me on that. So I'm thinking like, hey, I did well at the Super Bowl. Levac and I are rolling. I did it for two months with him, and I'm like, I, I think that I've earned this job. And then they go and they bring in in Wolf from you know the old picks 106, and you know I think like you, I was disappointed in the decision. I was upset at the decision that it wasn't me. Um, you know, a little resentful, a little bitter, but so I kind of go back to doing my thing in the morning for the next three months. Then we bring in Roger Weiland in June and uh, I'm going to be his producer. It kind of turns into me being his co-host. You know, I wasn't named that the show, what, you know, didn't have my name on it, but 
I do a lot of talk and I book all the guests. So I'm producing this show, you know, quasi co-hosting with Roger. He gets the first word and the last word, but I got a lot of words in the middle there. So yeah. um, let's sit on that for a second because some people may be unfamiliar with that. It's really Albany exclusive stuff for those who are listening, who don't know what we're talking about. Take us through that transition of where Roger was before who Roger is and what it means to have an opportunity to work with him in the midday radio term, 10 AM to that point, 10 AM to noon for his show. Yeah. So Roger has been on television in Albany for like 30 years and he's the, you know, the foremost TV entity in the area. Um, everybody knows him. He works at Fox Sports 980 at this point, which is a much smaller station, but it has Red Sox games. It has, you know, it has some good, you know, live sports product. And Roger runs the show over there. He does a show a couple hours a day and then he's on TV at night. And, you know, his show got listened to. It wasn't listened to as much as our shows, but his show definitely had a following and his TV career, he had a huge following. So for us to get him at that time was a major coup for the station. Um, it brings in a lot of ad revenue because people know who he is business-wise. So it makes the station money. It gives the station more clout. It adds us another local show, which is important because it's just, again, like we talked about, like local people talking local sports. And so it works out for everybody. Um, you know, so it's good for me to be around him and have proximity to him. And, uh, you know, we take off and the show is, I, I kind of think, pretty natural and pretty good from day one. And uh, we do it for a couple of months before I leave. Yes. So let's go through that. I thought the show was good. It's a big deal that we got a midday show on 104.5 The Team. So let's sit on August 2016. This is where I think both you and I have chatted about this for about four and a half years now. Take us through the timeline of Brady Farkas, August 2016, and how things start to change in your life at that point. So... Before we find out exactly what happens with Brady in August and how things start to change in his life, I want to give a special shout out to my guy, Alex Bodenzeek. Maybe you're a rookie business owner like myself. You're starting a new business in 2021. You're not quite sure what to do with taxes. For years, Alex Bodenzeek at AVB Taxes has been the go-to for relief for small service business owners who were stressed about filing their taxes. And maybe you're not quite sure what to do. Alex can help you through that process. Maybe you delayed it in the past and you find yourself overwhelmed by all the paperwork and you're trying to throw a Hail Mary in the final seconds to just file your taxes on time. That's where Alex Bodenzeek steps up and changes the game. With him, you gain a home field advantage because he's a team player that you can trust and he provides simple, tailored services with a quick turnaround time and a passionate professionalism that keeps your stress and your taxes to a minimum. Plus, all advice, services, and documentation are absolutely confidential. For a free consultation with Alex Bodenzeek, text or call him today at 518-400-0282. 518-4282. Alex Bodenzeek, AVB Taxes. And now, let's find out more from Brady Fark is it exactly why he decides to leave Albany and 104.5 the team. I am... Still mad that I didn't get the midday job, but I'm not as resentful. Afternoon, afternoon yeah. job. Right? I'm still, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm still mad I didn't get the afternoon job, but I'm not as resentful anymore because I kind of got my own place here in the midday, and Roger and I are doing well. Um, but I was still part time. I've been part time for at that point now, like two and a half years. And if I had known, like, from go back and listen to episode one, if all I had to do was threaten to quit a hundred times, I just keep getting raises <laughs> like you did. <laughs> So like, so like I get hired, I get hired in 2014 
making nine dollars an hour, which at the time minimum wage was eight fifty or something. So I'm actually doing better at that point than other minimum wage employees. So, but I'm on that nine dollars an hour for like two years. So from like January of 2014 or February 2014 until like February of 2016, um, $9 an hour. And I'm working way more hours than I can actually get paid for. So, you know, I'm not making that much money. Then I, I went in and asked for a raise. After a couple of months of corporate red tape, I finally got it to $12 an hour. I don't know what your raise entitled you to, but you were clearly making way more than $12 an hour. So I just wasn't full time. And I wanted to be full time and I wanted to stay and I, I, but they wouldn't make me full time. And I saw the writing on the wall that I wasn't going to be made full time. So I started kind of floating my stuff out there. I, I caught wind of a full time job for a program director and, you know, kind of limited on air component up in Burlington. And uh, they offered me the job July of 2016. Um, I hemmed and hawed on it for a couple of days. I went back to 104.5 the team and said, Hey, will you make me full time? And, didn't happen. You know, I kind of thought all along if I just had some leverage, they'd make me full time and they didn't. They're actually like, no, you need to go. So I took it. Um, I was excited, but I wasn't completely sold. Like I was secretly hoping that they would, you know, try to, to woo me back and they didn't. So I left and that was that. And then you got to be full time. Yeah. It kind of, it's a bizarre situation how that all goes down. Yeah. But I, I get why you're doing this because I think somebody listening probably hears it's like, Oh, Brady made the right decision. Like he's grinded. He's put in the effort. People know who he is. He did on digital. He did everything he needed for that station to have him make the move to the next step. And now if they're not ready to give him that next step, you said somebody else appreciates me. If you guys don't think my work is good, somebody else does. And you felt, Hey, the last straw is somebody else is telling me I'm good at this. You guys are telling me I'm not good enough for you. I'm just going to go somewhere else. You know, it sounds like I'm in a relationship at this point where it's like, you know, you're in a relationship. You're like, hey, I'm not getting treated well by this girl, but this other girl really cares about me. I'm going to go date her now. Is that the, like a good way to put it up, right? A way to, good way to phrase it? It was just impossible for me to say no. There was really no reason to say that. Like other than my own personal life of just, you know, I had a girlfriend at home still who were still together, but like she, you know, she was still working at home at that point. My parents were at home. My brother was at home. So like outside of just my own personal life, there was no career reason to not take the job. Like it was only three hours away. So it was still close. It was still a driving distance. It was a market that was going to give me a full-time gig. I was going to get to talk every day. Um, I got to work with Arnie Spanier, who, you know, it's kind of his retirement gig, but Arnie's one of the forefathers of sports talk radio. And, you know, he does a national show on Fox. He's been in, in Los Angeles and Chicago and Atlanta and all these big markets. So I was going to get a chance to be around him. So that was going to help my profile. So that was great. And <clears throat> everything we talked about at that station was in the wheelhouse of things I'd been talking about in Albany. You know, we covered the Patriots. Well, I'd just been covering the Jets. So it's basically the same because I was I knew the division. Oh, we cover the Red Sox. Well, we cover the Yankees. So I knew the division and even the local colleges were in the same, you know, in the same conference, U Albany and University of Vermont. So everything I was already when I thought well versed in, I just took here and talked about from a different slant. So Brady Farkas gets the full-time job. He gets the afternoon drive. He gets to be the brand manager. You get everything you've wanted that you thought you're going to 104 font the team. You just got to travel a few hours to get it. So you're there. You're you're the, you're doing what you want. Take us through that now. At this point, what's changed responsibility-wise? Are you enjoying yourself? Are you happy? Are you frustrated? Are you? Take us through now that you've gotten what you've wanted, and you're testing it out for the first time. You basically get the 
wheel now. Now you're driving. You kind of get what you're feeling and hoping for for the last few months, just in a different market. No, it was you know the the money was was obviously better. I had benefits for the first time. Um, you know, at this point, I'm like 27 years old, so I had benefits for the first time. The money was better. Uh, it was my first full time gig. I'm getting to talk every day. I don't talk that much at the beginning. It kind of took like a year for me to really get like my voice on the show a lot. I had a one hour show on my own at nights. We did a drive time show four to six, and then I did six to seven. Um, you know, so I'm kind of honing my skills by myself there. And then on the afternoon show, I'm kind of filling my way through. And it's, like I said, it takes about a year. Um, basically, I'm just a lot busier. I'm doing all the same stuff I did in Albany, but I'm also trying to help make the station money and get good ratings and all that. And uh, I'm working events, things I didn't have to do in Albany very often. So definitely fun and definitely uh, busy. But, you know, overall, it's a pretty good situation for a while. I'll, I'll, hopefully I'm phrasing this correctly. I want to say, unfortunately, you're not there anymore. Fortunately, you're not there anymore. Take that however you want. You are no longer working in that same spot. Do you want to tell the story of that and where you've moved on to next? Do you want to pass because you're still in the market because you're technically still working? If you want to pass because you're in Vermont, I, you don't have to share that because you're currently employed in that market. Well, I, yeah, I, just, I lost my job at the first station at 101.3 the game. Um you can you can read the papers just like you got okay, talked about right. the papers. I got talked about in the papers. Um, you know, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it and cost cutting and all that. And uh, you know, um, I wasn't there anymore. We did great things. We had good ratings. Um, the papers will tell you otherwise, but uh, the truth is, we had good ratings, very good ratings actually. And uh, so I'm not there anymore. So I'm on the shelf for two months and. I'm doing some podcasting. I'm keeping myself busy. I'm sending my resume out. You know, I'm definitely nervous thinking like, okay, like now my girlfriend and I are going to have to move and, you know, it's going to be tough in the pandemic to move. Where are we going to go? And no one's hiring. In fact, everyone else is laying everybody off too. So that's nerve wracking. And then, you know, I get a call the day I get let go from, from my now boss, Steve Cormier, who has been a radio fixture for a long time in this market. He's hosted a top ranked morning drive show he's also been let go by the guy that let me go so he you know he understands my point of view on things because we've been in that same situation and um he he basically says like hey i got a job opening if you want it you can have it and it was like hours after i got let go and i'm like this is all a little too fresh let me kind of see what's up um i go through the i go through the market for about a month and i'm like there's really nothing here i call him back say hey is that opportunity still there he's like it is, but there's a couple other people I'm thinking of at this point. You waited too long. So uh, I have to go through the formal application process now. And uh, I would probably would have had to anyways, but I would have had a clear leg up the first time. This time I'm a leg behind. and um, But I end up getting it. And uh, I've been there for mm, four months at this point. I do some news, which is different to me. I do some news in the midday. And uh, I do sports at night. So it's uh, it's different. It's a new tool in the toolbox, but it's been fun. Now, all good things happening for Brady Farkas. Now, before I got five questions, I want to get to you rapid fire here quickly before we wrap this up. There's okay. another part of this podcast that I'd like to do. Should I ask you something or what should I ask you? Did I miss a question that you've been dying to talk about? Is there a topic that you're like, why did you not ask this, guys? Because I want to talk about this. Is there anything I should ask you before we move on to the five questions to wrap this up? Yes, my two biggest regrets. Okay. Brady um, Farkas, what are your two biggest regrets? Um, in college, I would say my advice to people is learn how to do everything. Um, I was so lucky to be gifted 
an on-air job right away at the TV station that I never bothered to learn any of the behind the scenes stuff. And I don't know if it was arrogance or naivete or a combination of the, of the two, but I couldn't get that board op job with Armin when he wanted to give it to me because I never bothered to learn everything. I was like, Hey man, I'm talent. I don't need to learn how to coil cables and press buttons and run cameras and run radio boards. I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to be the guy who talks. That was my attitude. And it cost me a couple of months in my career to not know how to do that stuff. So my advice is to not be above anything and to learn how to do everything because, you know, um, not knowing how to do everything, you know, caused a delayed start to my career. Was there a number two regret or there was both combined into one right there? No, number two, I think was, it's not a regret because I think you were the same way. I guess I'm going to kind of bounce it off you is we had three really good, really driven young producers in Albany at the time that were all part-time. You, me, and A-Dubs, Andrew Williams. And I look back now and I think we all should have been better friends. And it's not that we weren't friends. It's that I don't know how you felt, but it was like it was a rival. In my mind, it was a rivalry. It was we were all fighting for a part for a full time job that we probably knew didn't exist there, but we were all fighting for it. And it was like, yeah, we like each other, but we're all trying to beat the other one. So I always felt like there was this unspoken rivalry of, you know, hey, I'm going to tell guys this, but not that, or I'm going to tell dubs <laughs> this, but not that, or I know how to do this and they don't. So I'm going to keep that one on my, in my pocket there. I, I just felt like there was that professional rivalry. I wish at 24 years old, we had just been 24 years old and crush beers and eat chicken wings and watch football. Yeah. And I, I think the difference is, and that's a great point. I'm glad you brought up the topic because there's going to be a lot of people here in this podcast and be like, why didn't you guys get along? Like there's going to be some people who are 24, 25 or fresh into college. That's going to be your friends for life. And we're going to be buddies for life. But that early part of that was tough. I think the issue with me, you and dubs and why we got to be better friends maybe later on is that it was actually like the time we were in the building because you were in the building from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. So when I showed up, it almost was like, guys is on my turf. Gaz is literally in the building when I'm supposed to be here. Andrew Williams was working my job before I got there. So like dubs could look back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was the producer. You guys went outside the building and hired some kid from Syracuse. Why don't you just give the job to me? And now I'm in the building producing the show and he's in another room cutting up audio where it's like, get him out of here. So it was almost like, I think the reason we always, I don't want to say butt heads, but the reason there might've been more of a rivalry is like literally we were going on each other's turf. You know, if you worked nights and I worked afternoons, we never saw each other. There wouldn't be a rivalry, but it was almost like, all right, Armin, Levac, they're here. Who's going to do the best in the next two-hour window? Yes. <laughs> so. That I that I agree with. It, uh, you know, so I wish that we had appreciated that time more of of just being friends. Like I said, I don't, I don't know that I could have changed it because I think we all would have been the same same driven people that we were before, but. Looking back, I wish that I had appreciated that time socially a little bit more rather than just always looking at everything through the uh, how quick can I get somewhere professionally lens. That's called being an athlete, though. You talk about being a pro baseball player. Sometimes competition comes out in completely different ways, which speaking of, that's a perfect transition. Transitions are one topic to another into these five uh, questions for Brady Farkas. All right. First one, Brady Farkas's dream school in baseball. Uh. Oh man! Dream. If you gotta pick any, if 
coming out of Shen, I could get to go play college baseball at this school, what it would have been. It would have been U Albany at the time. I really? Mean, looking back now, I can tell you, you know, Florida State probably would be a place I would have wanted to play. But, you know, I actually met the U Albany coach at the Y. He pseudo recruited me. I was pumped about it. I was really, really excited. Then I realized he probably just wanted my money so that I go to a showcase camp or something. But hey, uh, it was probably U Albany at the time. Um, but uh, now it would probably be like Florida State. All right. One of my favorites to always ask you New York State Athletics. Should private and public schools compete against one another? Not for championships. Play each other in a regular season all you want, but do not play in the playoffs. Why is that? When you can recruit your players. and you, It's one thing for private schools to take the talent from public schools, but then do not beat me with it. All right. I never has mattered for me to solve a uh, – some once in a while has foes, but all right. I think for a Shen guy, I, don't th- I think some Shen people are going to love it. You've gone to Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Yeah, favorite behind the scenes stories. You know, did you know something that when you go to Radio Road to Super Bowl, I think most people listening would have no clue about. Oh man, um, Tuesday night at Radio Row is the only time for downtime, at least for me. I always went as a one man band. I didn't go with a team of people, so it was always me doing everything. I truly worked like 14, 15 hours a day and slept on the floor of your hotel room just to get myself <laughs> just to get myself there. Um, so I was always exhausted. But Tuesday night is the best night at uh, Radio Row. It's the media. I hesitate to call it a party. It's more of a get-together. But, you know, there is drinking and there is food there. It's just a chance to meet people so um, and, and hang out with people you see once a year. So I, I, Tuesday night is the best night at Radio Row. You're a baseball fan. Does the Baseball Hall of Fame need to change when it comes to voting for classes? Uh, who do you, in terms of like who votes? Yeah. Who votes the curriculum to get in or the setup to get players in? Does that need to change? Uh, I have to do more thought on it. I would say that players should have a vote, but I don't know if I think it's only hall of famers that should have a vote players of a certain age. I'd have to, I, I will, I'll, I'll hesitantly say yes, but I don't have the perfect answer yet. Okay. The last question here that everybody's going to get. You kind of already answered it a little bit, but I'm trying to close every podcast with this. Brady Farkas' best advice for the young sports media broadcast. They want to get to their career. They want to have it happen. The best Brady Farkas getting their advice of how they can achieve their goals in the sports media, radio, whatever they're looking for business. Brady Farkas' best advice. One, learn how to do everything. That's a given. And two, um, do the job that you are paid to do while you're doing it you know like you were talking about in episode one you were hired to be the producer be the producer worry about the other stuff on not producing time i did the exact same thing the whole time i was producing it was just okay countdown of every day i produce is one less day i have to be producing anymore (laughs) so um i would say i would say that and then i would say be um Always be willing to, you know, don't wait for instruction. Go ask if there's things that need to be done. You know, if you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, you're just wasting your time. Very New England Belichick-like. I can see the Albany move to Vermont is wearing on you. The (laughs) Belichick, my God. Uh, Last thing before we let you go, plug the Twitter, plug the social media where people can follow you and learn more about your careers and follow all the great work you're doing. Okay, at WDEV Radio Brady on Twitter, at WDEV Radio. Radio Brady on Twitter, and uh, you can subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and uh, at the aforementioned WDEVradio.com. By the way, are you really wearing a suit for this? No, I'm not wearing a suit. I'm wearing a black 
Brittany, I got laid off recently. This is a black long sleeve shirt. If you're watching on YouTube, I have a horribly lighted Syracuse poster behind me. Okay, I thought you were wearing sunburn. a. I thought you were wearing a blazer. Should I wear a blazer for future podcasts? You should not, but the way it's folded over, it looked like a blazer. Oh, now it's been ruined. And I, if more people were thinking that, now I'm bummed. You know what? I was. I'll edit that back in. I'll edit it in. I was wearing a blazer. <laughs> Brady, my friend, appreciate you spending the time with me, man. We'll talk again soon. All right, guys. Thanks, man. Be well. Look forward to uh, listening to the rest.